Hey there, welcome back to season one, episode 39 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. And I am Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Dr. Don Litchie, um, and we have a great conversation about his book, um, Broken Windows of the Soul. Jay and Cheryl Taylor um, put us in contact, and um, man, it was just a great insight and learning experience for me with Dr. Don. Um, we talk about some, some great um, points in the book, he, t- he shares that what is the idea, what's the general principle behind br- the broken window principle. Um, we talk about what the heavy price is to pay if we begin to neglect the um, small things in our small scale neglect, what that can lead to in our soul and in our spirit. Um, he, we talk about the, the quote from Dr. Dobbins that until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change, people tend to stay the same. And why do we as humans have to go through a painful experience to want to change? And uh, just some great insight. Um, from Dr. Don. Really appreciate him and um, sharing his experience from Emerge Ministries for all these years, helping uh, pastors and missionaries. He's seen missionaries and um, he's seen pastors um, end up in a place that they had never imagined, end up in moral failure and compromise that they never dreamed up, they didn't sign up for. But at the same time, it happened. And, and applying this idea of the broken window principle um, to the soul and how we can get there by small scale neglect. And so do want to thank Dr. Don just for the opportunity that he gave us to learn from him and share his wisdom and insight. And so I uh, do also want to share that um, we'll be moving to one episode a week in step- September. I had done a bunch of interviews and uh, finally think I'm caught up through August. And so we'll be be moving back to one episode a week. And if you could go ahead and subscribe, that way you get that. You go to your podcast app, hit subscribe. That way, um, each and every week, the new episode will come and um, you can just listen to it as it goes, goes from there. And I do appreciate, we continue to do the Back Channel with Foth. You continue to send your questions in for that. And that has been a, a great um, time to sit down with Dick as he shares his wisdom, insight, and experience. And do want to thank our, our sponsor for today's episode, agwmafrica.org, for increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa. 50 countries, 257 training centers, 400 four missionaries, 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you could do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. It's a great honor to be here with a new friend, Dr. Don Litchie. And um, it's so exciting to be here with you today. Dr. Don, will you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Thank you, Aaron. It's great to be with you. And um, I just want to, we'll just jump right in. I'm Dr. Don Litchie. I'm a licensed psychologist uh, in the state of Ohio. I'm the vice president of Emerge Counseling Ministries. On the back of your credential card, there is an 800 helpline number, and that actually comes to our center in Akron, Ohio at Emerge. Yeah, and I've been there. Uh, if you total everything up, about between twenty-eight and thirty years, have worked with about forty, almost forty-two thousand clinical hours over wow. time. And um, anyways, have served as an adjunct professor at AGTS for the Assemblies of God and uh, Asia Theological Center in uh, in Malawi. Actually, at the uh, All Nations Theological Center in Malawi, Africa. Wow. So um, thanks for the opportunity to be here, and uh, I just really pray that the Holy Spirit would use our conversation to minister effectively to yeah. those that are listening today. Yeah, 
That's 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 the joy. I had the honor of reading the the book um, Broken Windows of the Soul um, this past week, and it really challenged me. It was very practical. It was also very challenging. Can you go in just to the general idea of the book of what is a broken the broken window theory, and then how it's applied to the broken windows of the soul? Yeah, thank you. Well, I number one, I had never intended to write a book, but my co-author Ernie Flake. He's one of these prolific writers, and he said, Don, we got to write this book, because he heard me talking on the topic of broken windows. He says, wow. I said, oh, Arnie, really? We really need another book? He <laughs> said, no, we need to do it, but let's make it practical, lean and clean. And you'll notice in the book, uh, if the listeners get a copy of it, it's, it's not a real thick book, and we did not uh, fluff it up with a bunch of case studies and stories and things like that. There are two case studies at the end. We put reflection questions at the end of each chapter. I tried to really make this as practical as possible. I really believe that Christian psychology, the work that I do as a Christian spirit-filled believer who also happens to be a psychologist, is to take the, the teachings and the principles of the Word of God and try to make them practical. I actually think that the work I do is called applied sanctification. That's really hmm. what it is. And uh, so anyways, Broken Windows, how did it start? It really started with the whole idea of uh, if you don't take care of little things when the little things are the little things, those little things can become big things. Yeah. And that can be uh, good things or, or not so good things in our life. But it all begins with taking care of the little things. It started out with a, uh, an experiment actually uh, by Phil Zimbardo from Stanford University in which he was really trying to examine like social disorder or breakdown. And so they took these two cars, Aaron, and they, they took the license plate off, put the hood up, put one in the, the most highly crime infested neighborhood of New York City, got behind the, you know, the, the, the buildings and started the cameras. And, and you know, within 10 minutes, people started to come by and help themselves to the car. And pretty soon people said, hey, someone's getting free tires, so I need a battery and on and on. And, Within two days, the whole car was stripped, and then it was torched. And I said, well, of course, what do you expect in New York City? So they tried the same experiment in the upper middle class neighborhood of Palo Alto, California. And they said, hmm. okay, what's going to happen? And so they uh, did the same kind of a thing, put the car, take the license plate off, put the hood up. So for one full week, nobody touched the car until they did one thing. They broke one of the windows in the car. Hmm. And that broken window sends a message. And the hmm. message is nobody cares. Nobody's at home. Nobody's minding the stores. And by the way, I need some free tires. And do you know that within 10 minutes, uh, some white upper middle class families stopped by, looked around and started helping themselves to the car. Yeah. And exactly yeah. the same thing happened in Palo Alto as did in the toughest uh, neighborhood in the Bronx, New York. So the whole theory became. Uh, what happens if you have a broken window and don't fix it? it? Pretty soon all the windows are broken, but it's far more than just windows. It's every other thing in our life. If we don't take care of little things, those little things can become big things. Yeah. And then what happened is Rudy Giuliani, who at that time was the mayor of New York, he said, well, what happens if we turn this around? And he, you know, of course, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, The Tipping Point, uh, wrote about broken windows. So Rudy said, listen, let's take care of the little things in New York. Let's take care of the 
public urinators, the window washers, that uh, the uh, graffiti artists and things like that. Let's take care of the little things and see what happens. Well, lo and behold, the major crime in New York City dropped at an amazing rate, hmm. and it became over time about as safe per capita as Boise, Idaho. Wow! So that's basically it's taking care of those little things. Well, of course, I'm looking at this from a spiritual application, and Proverbs 4:23 says, of course, that above all else, guard your own heart, and because out of it flows everything in life. And then tying it into 1 Corinthians 10 regarding temptation, it's going to affect all of us. And the enemy's not terribly creative. You know, some of your listeners are thinking, oh, if Dr. Don only knew how I was being tempted. Well, it's probably pretty common, you know. Yeah. There's no temptation that seizes us except for that which is common. And with the temptation, God provides a means or a way of escape. Yeah. So taking care of the little things and, uh, and what happens is those little things, if they're not taken care of, if you have a window, you have a window that's broken in a building and don't fix it, pretty soon all the windows are broken. If you have yeah. litter on the ground and no one picks it up, pretty soon there's litter all over the place. Same thing with graffiti, but same thing with the spiritual issues of our lives, Aaron. Uh, we need to take care of those little things quickly, temptations, mm -hmm. urges, thoughts, fantasies, ideas. Because if we don't, they fester and they become big problems for which sometimes we lose an awful lot. Dr. Don, in your years of, of experience and, and clinical work and, and, and caring for people spiritually, are there some common things that come up of reasons why people are neglectful in those, those smaller things in, in their yeah. spiritual lives? Is there a common theme there? We have found in the research, Aaron, that we've done uh, at Emerge, uh, Number one, people are not getting enough exercise. They're typically not doing well with their weight. They're depressed. They're sad. They're anxious. They're uptight. But if you were to put it all in a little acronym that we call HALT BAD, H-A-L-T-B-A-D, uh, if someone is too hungry, angry, lonely, tired, hmm. bored, anxious, or depressed, those are the playground of the enemy's schemes to bring you down. Hmm. And may I say clearly to the listeners, the enemy has already formed a strategic plan to try to bring you down. And we'll usually just start with, you know, a pretty common temptation, an urge, a thought, a fantasy idea. And of course, to be tempted is not a sin. But if we hang around and horse around, what happens is that we ignore the warnings and the ways of escape that the Holy Spirit gives us. And then the temptation power continues to grow stronger. And at some point we cross over the line. And I will tell you that the enemy will always take us further than we intended to go and keep us longer than we intended to stay, but will always charge a price higher than we ever dreamed of paying. Wow. That's a tough wow. thing. 
You know, you talked about those urges and, and fantasies. Are there some things that, will, will you, as you work with people, are there some practical things? You know, just to say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop that urge. Or I'm not, I'm not gonna have that fantasy. Yeah. Or some, is there some practical things that we can use? Because um, you understand the brain and 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 all of those things a lot better than than we do. How that we can stop those temptations when it's a thought rather than become an urge, an idea, and then fantasy, yeah. and all the way down the line. That's a great question, Aaron. Thank you. Most of the time, I mean, if, if, if you take, I'm just talking to all the listeners out here today, and I'm just saying, look, you probably know the time and place and circumstances or time of the day when you are more or less likely to experience intensity of temptation. I mean, it could be a particular person, a situation, a, a group meeting, or someone that's offended you, or a certain time of the day. Um, but most of us know the times when we're most at risk. So I, I really think that the first skill is to identify those triggering mechanisms. That's the number one thing. What, what's the time, place, circumstance that I know could be a risky time for me? And I tell you what, that's part of the guarding of your own heart. That's the smart thing to do. In fact, the Holy Spirit said, above all else, guard your heart. So number two, though, not just identify those potential triggers, but number two, have an action plan in place so that the moment you're aware that I've got this thought, urge, fantasy, idea, when that's first there, that's when it needs to be dealt with. Because otherwise, it's like a broken window that's not fixed. It'll continue to, to grow in intensity and uh, and then at some point we just we just give in. Uh, temptation has that way of doing it. It, it grows in its strength and intensity. So number one, identify the triggers. Number two, have an effective substitute plan in place. That's like Paul looked at Timothy and he says, "Hey, uh, flee youthful lusts." I mean, don't hang around, horse around. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I've worked with Christian leaders. I mean, I've actually heard one major leader say, well, you know, I'm getting ready to do this major talk on the topic of pornography for these men, and I just needed to know what they were dealing with, you know. So we started to dabble, and once one thing led to another and, and became really moved from just curiosity to all the way down the line to more or less regular use and then kind of addictive use and, and uh one of the things we did when we did the research for the book, Aaron, is we really looked at the neurology of addiction mm. and found out that, that pornography, and this is not just about pornography, but it's one major example, that pornography actually lights up the very same part of the brain that crack cocaine does. Mm. So in other words, once that excitability, once that pleasure center, once that fantasy uh, that that effect comes into your brain, it's there. And then once it's there, you can just keep going back to it and back to it and back to it. And those things that we thought we had control over, we have to recognize begins to have control over us. <laughs> the enemy will build these strongholds in secrecy and enforce them by silence. So the third skill, number one, identify the triggers. Number two, have an action plan in place. And number three, uh, you, we really need one another in community. So get a friend. Uh, 
the guys that are listening, you need to have two or three wonderful guys in your life. The ladies that are listening, you need to have two or three women in your life that, you know, as the scripture says, Aaron, as iron sharpens iron, you know, a friend sharpens the other. And we need, we really need each other in the body of Christ, don't we? Well, yes, we do. You shared um, a quote from Dr. Dobbins in your book that until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of not of change, people tend to stay the same. Um, it's when the pain of remaining the same becomes so great that one cannot stay the same. And this is when yeah. change occurs. Um, yeah. Can you go a little bit deeper on that? And why do we have to get to such a level of pain before we're willing to change? You know, what, what, one of the truisms I think it'd be great for the listeners to remember is that, you know, we don't have to experience everything in life to learn from that experience. We can actually observe others. You know, remember the scripture says, look, think about these people. Think about these people. You don't have to experience all of this pain in your life. I do know that pain is probably the greatest predictor of change. It's not the only one but it's the most sure one. And oftentimes people uh, have given themselves up, given themselves up, given themselves over to some kind of behavior that really costs them a lot. I've, I've seen so many times over just in the, in the physical realm, people don't start exercising until they've had their first heart attack. Uh, they don't start dealing with their blood pressure or their weight until they've had a major illness. And uh, you know, sometimes this pain uh, that comes into our life is something that is a motivator for change. But you don't have to go there. I mean, you don't have to lose your, your credibility, your reputation, your honor, your marriage, your ministry. You don't have to go there. Uh, you can actually learn from some of the sad experiences of others. And, you know, of course, we say, but for the grace of God, there I go. Well, it's the grace of God and the choices that we make on a daily basis. I want to encourage the listeners uh, to recognize that they are called by God Almighty. They are anointed. They're filled with the Spirit. They've gone through training. They've gone through all of the things to get to where they are so that they can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and extend the kingdom of God. And that activity is not in the enemy's best interests. And the enemy is going to, he's subtle, he's deceitful, not very creative. I mean, we're tempted pretty commonly. But, uh, but sometimes, you know, the, the, there's pain that does come into our life. And I, just, I would just say to the listeners, please, you don't have to go there. <laughs> Deal with temptations when there's still just that urge or a thought or an idea and deal with it so that it doesn't have to uh, be a, a major break in your soul. Yeah. You talked, uh, just to rewind a little bit, you talked about the enemy will keep you isolated. Is that something commonly you see with, um, you know, I'll be, you know, to be transparent as a minister and as a missionary, you know, it's, yeah. it is almost a idea that you have to put up a certain face, a certain thing, and everything has to be perfect because you have to portray yeah. an image. Yeah. And it almost does push you towards that isolation. What wisdom, advice, sure. counsel would you have for somebody like me or a missionary or a pastor? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's really hard 
Uh, Aaron, it's really hard to be honest around people who are trying to appear perfect. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there was an old book probably long before you were born that came out that said, I'm okay, you're okay. Well, you know what? Uh, I would say to all of us, I'm not okay. And you're not okay. But that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, we are all in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's true. I mean, if it was not for the initiating uh, work of God, we would be in really big trouble. And yeah. I think we say, hey, who does God use in his work? I mean, the disciples, I mean, there were some terrorists, there were some liars, there was certainly a thief involved. There was, uh, you know, people that were common people, work with their hands, and on and on. You know, God, in his mercy uses people like us yeah and we're not perfect we are we are perfect in christ but practically speaking that progressive work we're in we're a work in progress yeah and that's why we need to have a friend we've got i cannot emphasize that enough to the team that's listening uh you've got to have a friend in fact I'll, i'll be so bold aaron to say either get a friend or you're going to have a moral failure Hmm. And that's a bold statement, isn't it? It is. Get a friend or have a failure. Now, it's not to say that if you have a friend, you won't have a failure because it's possible to still hide. However, I will say if you don't have a close friend in your life, I'm talking about a same-sex friend who is similar to you in personality that will be like the iron that sharpens iron. We need one another in the body of Christ. And if you don't have a friend, if you're isolated, I promise you the enemy will take advantage of that and you'll have a failure sooner or later. Wow. Um, wow. You know, uh, a, a secret that's revealed loses its power. Hmm. Hmm. Do you think that then why, if, if we know, I guess my question is, is we know that intellectually, okay? <laughs> Because yeah. most, you know, we know that intellectually, but why do you think, or what are the reasons that you've seen that people, even though they knew it intellectually, they couldn't put it into action? I guess that's, I guess that would be yeah. my question. I think, I think that distance from the head to the heart is so long. And, you know, number one, I'm so grateful for the listeners. You're, you're out there trying to win the world for Christ and your cities and your communities. And, and I, and you know what I'm interested in, Aaron, I'm interested in people winning the four and a half inches between their ears yeah. for Christ. Yeah. Winning that battle for the for the for the mind and whose whose presence is going to be expressed through your choices. Hmm. And if the presence of the Holy Spirit is expressed through you, that's going to have the fruit that's found in the book of Galatians, love and joy and peace and patience and long suffering and and so forth. But if we give in to the enemy's expression, then it's just all of those other things that are shown in Galatians. Why in the world do we do that? I think sometimes we lose our focus. Hmm. We certainly lose our um, meaning of why we're doing what we're doing. I do believe that it's a good thing from time to time for each of the listeners to just pause for just a moment and say, let's do a quick reboot here. Uh, you know, how computers can get so much clutter and sometimes you just need to do a reboot to clear it all out. And if your listener would get alone somewhere and just be still before God and say, you know, God, you love the world. You gave your son to redeem us. We place our faith and confidence in you. 
and you've called me to proclaim this good news in the place where we are. If I revisit that why of my life, why am I doing what I'm doing? Then, you know, we can do just about any what yeah. if we have a good why. Yeah. And I just, I, I just want to encourage the listeners to not lose the focus of why you're doing what you're doing. You love Jesus Christ and you're passionate to pursue him. Um, and Jesus said, you know, be like, you know, sheep amongst the wolves. But as Dallas Willard used to say, sheep still go astray. And they usually, they usually go astray one nibble at a time. You know? That's how they get lost. Oh, man. Um, true. When you and I were talking on the phone the other day, um, we were just getting to know each other a little bit. Um, we, we, this, the conversation, we started talking about same-sex attraction. And you, you yeah. shared some, honestly, some things that have, <laughs> I've ran over in my mind um, since those days um, about people labeling others and then people grabbing onto those labels um, that, that the way that other peoples have labeled them. Can you just go a little bit deeper on that and share? Because that is something, um, that we're, you know, as people come to the field, um, or wherever they're at, come to the mission field, they get there. And then there's some things that maybe they, they have not worked out in their life. And, um, that comes to, and so could you just go a little bit deeper um, on that? Let me, I'll do that. There's something I did some research on, gosh, I'm looking at now almost 30 years ago and turned it into my doctoral dissertation when I looked at gender-related personality traits. What I found, uh, Aaron, is, and I still believe now very strongly that many people who have come to believe that they are, uh, that they're homosexual, and, I, this, and I've told you before, I'm not, I am not a person that's into gay bashing. I think that these, uh, that many people who have been led to believe that they are, uh, have really struggled, they've really suffered, um, confused, and the last thing that they really need is, is someone else judging them in their life. But one of the things I've come to understand is that many of these personality traits sometimes can get confused and become sexualized. And I'd like to just explain a little bit of it to you. You know, there's you know, when you go to men's conferences and they'll say, well, men are, and then they'll give all these descriptor terms, you know. And I'll say, I'll look around and say, you know what? You're going to be right about 80% of the time when you make these descriptions. But about 20% of the time, you're going to be wrong 100% of the time. Because there's about 20% of these men who are grade A, healthy, otherwise really healthy, strong men that don't quite fit that mold. And they may be a little different personality-wise. And in many cases, they're not received well or accepted in the church because they don't fit that stereotypical mold. And the same thing with many women. Uh, I've seen some women who have to hide how strong, capable, competent, confident they are because if, they, if they're that way, if they're that kind of strong or independent or self-confident and decisive and competitive, that sometimes their sexual identity is called into question. And uh, I would just simply say that, in fact, I had to, to find an instrument that got away from some of the stereotypical uh, language. And, that, and this may be a time for another uh, discussion at some point, but you think of the words agentic, A-G-E-N-T-I-C, agentic or instrumental. Um, and you think about words like independent, active, competitive, 
decisive, never gives up. And I say, do you know any men that are like that? And everyone will say, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I'll say, do you know any women that are like that? All of a sudden, yeah, I actually do. You know, self-confident, they stand up under pressure. And then I'll say, I'll give a whole nother set of terms that are more expressive and communal. Uh, things like emotional or devoted or gentle or helpful to others or kind, uh, understanding and warm. I'll say, do you know any women that are like that? Everyone says, yeah, yeah. I'll say, do you know any men who are like that? I'll say, oh, yeah, actually, I do. And then I drive the point home. I say, what about Jesus? You know, it was said of Jesus that a bruised reed he would not break off and a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. And he was so gentle and kind that children were drawn to him and used him for a jungle gym. They climbed all over him. And yet he was agentic and instrumental enough so that when he saw injustice being done in the temple, he saw poor people getting ripped off. He tore off the cords from the window and he, well, I just say he drove the asses out of the temple. And sometimes I say literally and figuratively, but uh, you know, in other words, he was agentic when he needed to be, and he was communal affiliative. And I say, wow, aren't those great uh, qualities for all of us to have, a good mix. But sometimes people will get, uh, they're heavily weighted on one, and uh, sometimes if it doesn't quite fit that gender type, then their sexuality is called into question, and they're rejected sometimes in the church. And there is a group out there that will receive them, and sometimes that uh, personality trait will become sexualized. I know you've that's seen, a lot for <laughs> three minutes, but no, no, no. That's it's really good, actually. Um, you know, you've you've had uh, many years in practice and experience and, and engagement in the church. Do you think that we're the church at large? Are we getting? Uh, are we caring better for people, or do you think? At, or you think we're just kind of stayed the same? I, you know, I, I think we are uh, in some ways here. And I still remember the battles that we would fight, you know, early in the 80s in which there were people that would say there are Christians and there are psychologists, but there are no Christian psychologists. <laughs> and I have this, you know, those are early battles and people that are listening now might think, what are you talking about? Of course, I see a counselor, you know, all my friends see counselors. But those were not the way it was in the older days. People said, if you just pray enough and believe enough and speak in tongues enough, then you'll never have any emotional problems at all. I wish that was the case. But the effects of sin generationally and families of origin and woundedness and hurt and abuse and, and distorted self-concept, distorted God concept, all have their ways to impact our life and affect our ministries. And so uh, do I think that we've done a better job with care? Yeah, I really do. In fact, I have been on a, a committee uh, formed by uh, Doug Clay uh, called the Mental Health Care Committee and um, was actually able to chair that committee for the last two years in which it just made it uh, a little more palatable that if you need some mental health care, get it. and uh, and. I can tell you that there has been such a widespread acceptance of this. Uh, is there spiritual issues? Absolutely. Uh, are there mental health issues? Without question. And uh, 
And one of the ways that we have decided to take a look at that, from my viewpoint, is to actually take a look at what's going on in your body. You know, your body has a way of keeping the score of what's going on at an internal emotional level. And, uh, and I would just say to the listeners, look, if you need some help, get it. Uh, stay close to Christ. Make sure that whoever you might see uh, is, um, has a biblical, uh, Christ-centered, theistic worldview that begins with God, but, uh, but also knows how to handle the scriptures and make great application to your situation. Does the theory apply? Um, we've talked about broken windows of the soul. Would that same theory apply to maybe somebody who was struggling um, somewhat with anxiety or somewhat with depression? Is it better to yeah. seek counsel and care early on, or is it better to try to work through it yourself for a little bit? Or what, do, what would be your wisdom and counsel on that? Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'd have to see a professional. But I think if it's something like it's a mild depression or a mild anxiety, uh, some of that's just going to pass. Some of it is hormonal. Some of it's situational with, with what you're going through right now. Uh, and I would say, you know, if at first, uh, you know, you can manage this through diet, exercise, friendship, uh, social relationship, uh, and certainly, obviously, a really active, uh, healthy, vibrant uh, quiet time before the Lord. I mean, really be, be before the Lord in prayer. And, uh, and in many cases, that's going to clear up. In some cases, uh, you're going to need some special care. I think of Elijah, for example, that, you know, sometimes after a great victory or a great ministry win, you may go into a slump. We've actually studied that neurologically. It's called the brain reward mechanism. And, and sometimes uh, people uh, will struggle after they, you know, I sometimes say nothing fails like success. And sometimes <laughs> after a success in ministry, a person can just be depleted and, and down and go into a big slump. And if that does not clear up after, you know, a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, then I would certainly seek out a confidant, seek out a mentor, and if necessarily seek out a, a, a Christ-centered uh, professional. That's, uh, I'm always nervous sometimes when I say that because someone might just see a counselor or a psychologist that, that doesn't see the world the way that, that we would see it through Christ's eyes. And, um, and I, and I would say that, you know, there are many, many wonderful Christ-centered believers that are also have given themselves to the spiritual and emotional health of the church. And I really commend them. I, I say these are people that are well-trained in their minds and Holy Spirit governed hmm. in their hearts. Hmm. That's good. One last question. Um, you, one, of the, one of the parts of the book, and it, when it gets towards the end, you talk about the how-tos um, for the biblical ought-tos. Um, can yeah. you share some of those with, with me? That really stuck into my mind, um, the way you propose that or put that forward um, on this, how we can apply those to our life. Thank you. You know, I, I would say, Aaron, that it would be really great if we as a people could just get beyond sin management. You know, I mean, I don't, I guess I just don't want to go to my grave with, uh, I don't want to go to my grave with the epitaph. Yeah, he went three weeks without looking at pornography. I mean, like, kind of like big deal, you know. Yeah. 
I would really like to see us be a people that are really transformed, formed, conformed, reformed. I mean, really formed into the very image of Christ so that that pornography would be like one of those like that just dumb i don't want to go there why would i go there and that's going to take some uh growing from the inside out and uh so i talk a lot about that formation of the heart uh some of the practices of i i think some of the traditional spiritual disciplines um i'm always quick to say that the purpose of spiritual disciplines is not spiritual disciplines. I mean, <laughs> training for the, the, the training for a marathon is not the purpose. You know, you train for a marathon so that on the day of the marathon, you actually can run it. And we go into this uh, practical, intentional, formational time with Christ so that we can place ourselves before God uh, through prayer and silence and solitude and study and fasting and and celebration and fellowship, all of these traditional uh, disciplines of the Christian life, we practice these things. They're within our power to do so that we can, over time, do what we could not do by direct effort. In other words, we're formed into the heart and mind of Christ so that we actually begin to love the things that Jesus would love and hate the things that Jesus would hate. And we wouldn't have to say, oh, what would Jesus do? No, we would actually be doing those things because that Christ is formed in us. But that formation is not something that just takes place by osmosis. It's something that we engage in. And then God does that formation process. But we've got to show up. Your will is necessary to deal with temptation mm. but it's not sufficient mm. your will is necessary but it's not sufficient and so when we have this uh uh devotional time and physical exercise it's and study time and and prayer and fasting and solitude and silence and getting it's that's where the word of god permeates and the truth of god the word the holy spirit deals with our soul and begins to actually form us. That's why all things work together for the good of those that love him to them that are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknow, foreknew, he, he, he did predestine to be conformed to hmm. the image hmm. of Christ. That's, That's what it's all about. God's trying to work in us to, to be like Christ. And, uh, and, and then to do that work uh, through us. That's good. It's an amazing process, isn't it? It is. It is. Dr. Don, will you pray for the audience today that God will yeah. use our conversation and uh, the wisdom and insight and experience that you've shared? And it will not just be something that we heard, but it'll be, these will be things that we will put into action in our everyday life and address those broken windows of our soul um, so it doesn't um, end up uh, where we don't want to be. Let's pray together. Our Father, through Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, we gather together, however this is being listened to, we just bow now before you. You are the God of the universe. You're the God of our lives. Lord, for each listener, I, I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be 
victory, uh, people that have struggled with the guilt of temptation, sometimes the guilt of poor choices. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for the mercy of Christ. Lord, just like David said, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's just anything in the deep crevices of my life. Just search them out and bring light to them. We want to serve you well. We want to go the distance. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, it's our privilege and our honor to be called by the name of Christ. You've given us, Lord, everything that we need. I thank you, Lord, for this community. Thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would be able to hear you say, well done. In Jesus' name, amen.